Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. What's happening, everybody? It's me, Robert Phoenix, and we're back for another edition of the Friday Forecast. Of course, I'm being joined with my co-host, the uh, ever-handsome and charming Jasper, the astrological cat. He's very excited about having Howdy back on the show today, aren't you? Yeah, he's one of your favorites, I think. So um, what's happening, everybody? How are you? And uh, it's good to be back. It's a little cold here today. But I think once uh, we start cooking with Howdy, I might, I might take this off. And uh, yeah, I know. You don't need one, do you? You have your own vest. You have your own vest on. So welcome to another edition of the show. Howdy's actually here. He's in the green room. And um, why, don't we, uh, why don't we bring him on? Let's uh, welcome him back. It's been a while since we've had him. So uh, here he is. The one and only... Howdy, Mikoski. You excited about Howdy? Hey. Right. How's it going, Howdy? Oh, I guess you need video. Yeah. Be helpful. There you are. Oh, bit stressed, but other than that, okay. Bit stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Just the life, the world, the way it is. How are you doing? Well, you know, I've got a big fat gold cat on my lap, so I'm not that, I'm not as stressed. Do you, you have a cat? You have a cat. They're they're yeah. actually pretty good for for uh, for what, uh, turning down the 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 volume on the stress. Yeah. I have to say, they're great that way. Your hair is getting a little long, man. When was the last time you had a trim? <sighs> wow, three weeks ago, maybe. Really? Yeah. I think it's just because we've been living in so much snow here. I shoveled the snow probably thirty or forty days. It just it just it's like piled up well over my waist. And uh, so I think I'll wait till I see some better weather. Then I'll cut it. You must be in pretty good shape if you're shoveling all that snow. You'd think, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> it, it at least doesn't let you get out of shape. There you go. Yeah. And uh, the cold has got to have some kind of regenerative factor, right? I mean, the whole cold shower thing. Yeah, if, you know. if you can, I mean, like, uh, when I moved here last year, it was like minus 30 degrees Celsius. I can't remember what that is Fahrenheit, like about minus 30, I guess almost similar Fahrenheit. And uh, so a friend of mine just reminded me, use the cold as an immune system builder. Focus on cold builds the immune system. And, right. um, and that's what I kind of have focused on and kind of been okay. So what's happening there with uh, the totalitarian procedures of covering one's face and being all restrictions are gone. They're all gone. All gone. Completely. And that, that includes the juice, everything. 
Interesting, huh? Yeah. And that's happened in a number of places in Europe now. Yeah. Yeah. So the holdouts seem to be Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and certain states in the United States, although California is starting to fast track the removal of the mask mandate. So once California does that, it won't be very long, I think, before Nevada will drop it. Washington and Oregon may be long holdouts. Right, right. Um, And then you could see a schism in New York between the governor, Crazy Kathy uh, Hockle, and the uh, the new uh, social Marxist Sandinista trained mayor Eric Adams, who I think will probably want way more control and way more restriction mm-hmm. than than Hockle probably will want. I think you'll see some of that too, also in a place like San Francisco, where the you know, the city government tends to be incredibly far left, like way far left than uh, the majority of the state and. And I think that here, at least in this country, you're going to see kind of more of it happen. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Iowa even lifted themselves off of the emergency status, which I think every other state is still on the emergency status, Mm -hmm. state of emergency. But Iowa is not. So that means that Iowa is not that they can't accept any federal money now, right? Because if you have. If you've accepted oh, yeah, yeah. the emergency status, you you get the funding, get, yeah. the, get the goodies, right? Yeah, yeah. So well, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what happens as the United States has become balkanized, obviously, between these red and blue states. But yeah. then another level of balkanization taking place within cities within these states. So we live in a very uh, interesting, deconstructed, and fragmented reality at, the, at this yeah. time. And I guess there's some things you had seen on some of my. Uh, talks with Campbell that you wanted to go into. Yeah, I just wanted to maybe circle back a little bit um, to some of that material. I mean, yeah. So, so what I, what I was struck by was, um, I think a couple of the key talking points was number one that this world is hell, mm. and um, which I think is a lot of people would agree to. I don't think you'd have a tough sell with some of that, right? With the with the hell with the hell realm. Well, you've got this challenging, uh, I, I'm sort of moving to that uh, place because that's how the Cathars saw right. the world, right? They saw it as as the material world as being uh, all created by Rex Mundi. So therefore, everything in the material is somehow evil because it's not from the spirit. Now, in their teachings, right, the spirit, something spiritual was placed into all of the material. There was this it's a very long little bits of creation of how to try to figure it out. So there's like a spiritual spark in everything, but the spiritual spark is not the material. So therefore they, they attempted to turn away from the material at every possible viewpoint. This takes us to the, to an idea that came in my last video, which was, is this a place, is this a prison or is this a place of learning? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing, if you really think about it, it might be both. Right. Uh, people like to try to stay on only one side of it, right? It's this or it's this. If you start saying it could be both, now you've got a really even more challenging thing to figure out of, well, what are we dealing with? Because, you know, we, we've had a number of conversations over, over the last couple of years. And I, I've always held, held on to this um, hopeful, hopeful place that there was this time in the ancient past when 
human society or human beings lived in a pretty friendly and balanced and comfortable way. And we talked about whether it be ancient Egypt or the Maya or, or even these uh, great cities of the recent past. But again, that's all still uh, conjecture. We don't know that for sure. We just know that they were there. They had these buildings. The buildings were incredibly energetic and beautiful. Like when I'm at these buildings, they're spectacular. Right. But we don't know for sure how how the people lived while we were there. So we we know so little about everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it such a challenge for all of us to try because we can't figure out what this place is. We don't really know what we should do. Well, that that gets back to this idea that if you don't know where you come from and what your origins are, you don't know where you are in the universe at any given time. And it's very hard to project into the future where you're going. So the foundation story, the origin story, I think is, uh, it's an important one. And I think that's one of the reasons why Tartaria has become so popular because it gives people this kind of interesting and unique look into an alternative origin story. And one that has a lot of different um, threads that run through it. Like there are a lot of different threads that run through the whole Tartarian quote unquote reality. But one of the things, and, and I, and I think that, um, that we have the ability to um, sense with our bodies, right? That we can right. have a somatic experience and we can have a somatic experience with the future and we can have a somatic experience with the past. Meaning that if you place yourself in a future position or future situation, and I've actually done this with some of my clients, mm-hmm. that if they um, have a resonant feeling with that possible future, that possible future is possible, right? If there is no resonance with that possible future, then the potential of that happening is probably far less than it, than it manifesting. And the same goes for the past. And I feel like when I started to, you know, dive into the Tartarian rabbit hole, mm-hmm. I was having a semantic experience with this material, that there was a resonance with it that I couldn't necessarily articulate, but something about it ha- has felt right and correct in terms of uh, what I'm experiencing. I, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on something like that. Oh, this is, yeah, very interesting stuff. This is why I love talking to you. Our conversations are always so good. Um, You know, it's, it's interesting. First, the first thing I thought of when you began uh, talking there was this idea that that what we're calling Tartaria, this potential ancient civilization of old ancient buildings and world fairs and whatever, is more important to people as a myth, as a type of mythological connection, because it's certainly one thing modern humans have lost. We've lost all of our mythology. Our mythology is pretty much taken away from us. So we have none. So first, it's interesting to see that that could be a a driving force into it. I I sort of looked at this reality, and this is just my personal opinion from my years of studying it, but I, I have the feeling that, say, your personal life, Robert's life, Robert's life has in different time frames and different, uh, you maybe have a thousand possibilities. You know, you can't be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys right now. No matter what you do, no matter how much you're going to, how much energy you're going to focus on, it's just not going to happen. There's various. <laughs> That's there's really various... funny. I have a story to tell about that, but keep going. Okay. Keep okay. Going. I'll stop quickly and then you can tell it. So 
there's certain things that can't happen, but we have a thousand possible things that can. So there is, in a sense, this, you might say there is some free will because we have, there's choice, there's certain choice, quite a bit of choice, but not as much, not, not unlimited either. So when you were talking about people looking into the future and seeing if they had a connection to it, it could be interesting because to me, then there's like, there is a, there is an overlay of, of, of just like a simulation. Just like if you're doing a computer program, you would give your characters X number of possibilities so that it wasn't repetitive, but you couldn't give them too much because you don't have that much time to program everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of what we're dealing with. We, we, we can, we can tap into various lines of possibility forward or backward but there's a certain limit as to what is possible yes, for each yes. character. And to me, that's outside of the realm of resonance, mm. which goes back to the Dallas Cowboy thing, right? Okay. Like quarterback. Like, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll picture myself, you know, going to training camp uh, in uh, August with the Dallas Cowboys. There's no resonance there. Like, that's not going to happen. You know, not me suiting up and trying to take Dak Prescott's job, right? Right. But let's say I want to get a piece of property somewhere, which is inside this kind of mm -hmm. um, this this how would you call it like like a realm of possibility or this field yeah. of possibility, right? And that's where I think it gets interesting. Oh wow, I really like this, and I begin to get excited by it, and I I resonate towards this potential future. Yep. Um, so yeah. I think there's, I think there's a lot of truth to that. So funny story. This was, I think in, uh, it was around July, like late July, early August. And we were traveling from, uh, from Texas to California and we're driving and we stopped in at this uh, gas station right on the Texas, New Mexico border. And it's probably about 1130 at night. And there are these, uh, like, uh, three people that are inside the gas station. And, uh, this guy, they were, they'd all been drinking. And uh, there's this Mexican dude, and he says, hey, aren't you the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know. So I, and I think I said something, something else, and he started to crack up. But for, for that moment, I was the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Like in yeah, that, I have a similar story like that myself. I was in Vegas. My first trip I took to Vegas and I was just sitting, getting ready for a show. And these, these three women were sitting beside me. It was like July day or something, you know, June. And they say, Oh, you're Ryan Sandberg. It's so great to meet you. And I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not Ryan Sandberg really. <laughs> no, please. Can we have your autograph? And I'm trying to now use logic with them. Okay. Ryan Sandberg and the Chicago Cubs played a game today, right? They played at one o'clock in Chicago. Yeah, right. Okay, so you're saying I played the game till four. When the game was over, I quickly got on a plane, flew all the way to Las Vegas to come and sit here at this show so I can fly back and play the game tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, you're Ryan Sandberg. So I just signed the autographs and, and just, you know. <laughs> That's classic. Oh my God. So how old were these people? Give me a breakdown of these people. Well, I mean, they're over 21. We're in Vegas and we're out. So, you know, they're in their 20s. Were they, were they inebriated? They had to be. Right. But I, I tried logic. Logic didn't work. So in so, that moment, you were Ryan Sandberg. So I became Ryan. And of course, this, they would, now they'll tell that story that they met Ryan Sandberg, you know, and they'll be adamant that it's true. And so from the standpoint of reality, <laughs> who knows what's true that did, you know, I, but it really makes you start to think, right? Yeah. When, when, when you start seeing like different people's perceptions and how real a perception is or isn't. Right. 
we, th we think my perception is the only perception. That's the right one because it's the one I'm having. But if you think in Castaneda terms, right, where you've got millions of, of, of what he calls them, what does he call them, fibers of possibility or fibers of light, and you're just the, the, the choosing a few of them to create your experience, if you just shift slightly, you'll create a completely different world and completely different experience. We've just learned to habitually make the same world over and over and over again. So we've got these constant worlds running beside each other. We just have never been taught how to make these shifts. Or when they do happen, when a shift does happen, and it's something so strange for us, we we quickly find an excuse as to, oh, well, uh, that's wrong, I you know, and forget about it. And so it kind of all ties into that of, there's millions of possibilities in every moment. We just we just lock our choices very tightly. Yes, well said, very well said. And usually, for most people, uh, if they're going to go through a major shift, it's you know, th through some form of cataclysm in their life, right? It's either yeah. a health crisis or a relationship crisis or um, a job crisis or sometimes a combination of those big three, right? And then they're forced to see their life in different terms and different perspectives. I think the health one is like one of the biggest when people go through a health crisis and then all of a sudden they figure out how to take control of their body or at the very least learn more about their body so they can be in more harmony with it. A lot of those health crises can really propel people into a higher state of awareness, provided they don't fall into the allopathic trap. If they fall into the allopathic trap, then they're, spiral into another series of possibilities yeah or at the very least uh running out limiting their options massively right you know um i'll give you an example like i'm as anti as you can get i tried i had a, a meniscus tear i tried everything on it my life got horrible finally i had to just say surgery but i had no problem ever since right so everything has its time and its place it's just being able to be aware of when is the right time for things? And you talked about a shift and, and shifting happening when things get chaotic and challenging. And I mean, the world did a shift. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, or a potential shift. I mean, literally, it's, it's, and it's, it's, it's spiraling in some way faster right now. It, it's so, I said this on, uh, I don't know where I was, but um, it feels like 2020 didn't end. That we've had three years of the year 2020. Oh, I, I absolutely. I, I think we could. Yes. Yes. I think we're in a, well, okay. So there's, I think there's a yes and a uh, qualification or an asterisk yeah. with the yes. Okay. So absolutely 2020, if you go back and you look at 2020 and this is an astrological marker, which was yeah. uh, January, I think it was, what is it? January 14th, the Saturn Pluto conjunction. Okay. When that happened, um, time stopped. There is a stoppage of time. And that would manifest on 311. And 311 was when the, they shut the NBA down. And then that was sort of the official beginning in the West of the narrative that we're in now. Everything gets shut down. All these things that we are uh, so connected with, for instance, the Olympics, the Summer Olympics in Japan gets shut down, right? It throws the time cycle of everything off. The, the Chinese New Year in China, you know, which is the year of the rat, they don't, they don't celebrate it. 
Like they, mm. they shut it down. So, so then it goes into March Madness. They shut that down. It goes into um, the baseball season. They begin to shut yeah. that down. Everything that we associate, look at um, graduation for a lot of schools during that period. Right. Of time. Right. They, did, they didn't graduate in person. They were graduating on Zoom. And so that was a very important time moving us into this period of non-time. Or the, I, 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 would, I would describe it as like a Bardo, like we're in a Bardo now. Mm. But here comes the asterisk. So one of the things that I've talked about is that we've been in this thing called the Janus Ritual which was marked by the dawning of the, the mask. And if you look at Janus, Janus is the two-faced God. And in many depictions right. of Janus, the faces are not the same. They're different. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also the faces of tragedy and comedy, which are also these masks, right? Yeah. So we get moved into this um, Janus ritual with the mask. And I started to talk about how the Janus ritual would end in January of this year. And that's when a lot of these uh, mandates mm. and things started to, to drop, right? right? So obviously there are still a few places where they're in effect, but there's a lot more that aren't. So we're moving, we're on the other side of this Janus ritual. So, but mm. the story is like, what has taken place in the interim, right? What has happened between 311, um, you know, 2020, <clears throat> and let's say, well, why don't we go to uh, to 2022, since we're coming up on some very interesting dates here. Like, what has happened in the interim? Well, one of the things that's happened is that there was a war waged against the American people in 2020, you know, during the summer of Floyd, with the riots, the toppling of statues, uh, the, the, uh, the, the taking of the knee, Right. And then then what happens with the election? Right. There is a war. There's a revolution that's waged and Janus rituals take place during a time of war. So there's a war waged on the American people. Right. That happens. So then the other thing is the fundamental change that is the beginning of this new species of humans, which are these black eyed babies that have their heads, you know, pretty much right up at the, at the beginning of birth. Right. They're they're walking at like what two or three months, which is yeah, unheard yeah. of. They're this strange, you know, advanced kind of introduction of this new species. And I think they're part of the story. They're part of what was supposed to happen during this time. And I think there's more, but we're coming out of this period. Now we're coming out of this non-time but i don't know if it necessarily means that we'll revert to linear time again so <clears throat> something something new is coming some kind of new cycle it will not be like the old one we're out of the old one they they basically said linear time and everything that relates to say uh western civilization circa 1900 that's over now right that's over and we're moving into this new time now of course you know, you've got Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, the Great Resets, you know, all the things that go along with that, that being maybe a part of the new time. But we're not, we're not sure. Like, you, you know, I don't think that that's a given. It's a possibility, but it's not a given. Anyway, that's where my yeah. thoughts on that are. Yeah, I mean, we, that's, again, one of the big issues we are stuck with as humans now is, is 
we know so little of where we've been. We know so little of what's going on. We know so little of what's likely to happen. We are, you know, we, we've so lost our connection to what you might call like shamanic power, our, our natural shamanic abilities to figure out things we need to know. And so we're, we've been kind of floundering for a long time and it was fine while everything was no problems, while everything was just comfortable right. and take right. a nice shower and go visit your friends at the restaurant and go right. play some golf. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter if we don't know much, but all of a sudden, once the, once things get challenging and we don't even know what the challenges really are, we're just, we're just, we're just responding to continuous change and continuous something. If, because we don't know what, what's going on, um, we're not sure what the best response is. I began to think one of the best things that I, I went back to my native teachings like a couple of weeks ago with the situation in, in Ottawa and whatever. And I was like, well, I, there's really nothing to be done there. You know, it's going to, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I just decided prayer is the best thing, best option I've, I've got. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's not going to hurt anyway. So I, I've started just a daily prayer for just some sort of positive, result from it all for the world if possible that's kind of that's i can generalize it that's my focus i i think that that's about the highest intention that you could have and probably the most meaningful kind of course of action right you're you're recognizing something and you're you're uh embracing it to the highest degree and capacity of love that you can and then you're surrendering and letting it go i mean what else yeah. can you do right what else yeah what else can we do and um yeah, it's um, it's pretty amazing. Even though I, I I could I saw that I knew this kind of thing was going to be coming twenty years ago. You get complacent after it's taken so long and nothing happens. Everything is just keeps going fine, and you start thinking to yourself, "I maybe I'm wrong," you know. Maybe these visions and these messages I got I was wrong, and you start doubting yourself, and you start uh, becoming a bit lazy about it all, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. And then all of a sudden you kind of get, wow. And, yeah. and I'm saying, I'm kind of, I'm kind of was prepared for it in some, how about someone who's not prepared for this? Oh, and, and for someone who's not prepared and they start seeing, they start getting information that they, they weren't expecting about reality or about themselves. And it's coming so fast to people. So many pieces of, wow, wow, wow. I think that's also really hard for some people now because they're, they're dealing with so much so quick there's no digestion time for anybody to, to deal with what they've been getting. Yeah. Assimil assimilating the intensity and the changes yeah. takes, takes a little bit of time. And uh, for some people who've gone through kind of a, a, a pressure cooker in their lives, they're better at it, right? Because like yourself, you've gone through so many changes and a lot of intensity. So you're, you know, maybe a little bit more adept than say other people. Right. I mean, because of how you've had to come at it through your own life. So mm -hmm. there are some people who are a little more practiced, like, you know, I've spent most of my adult life kind of going through these things and, you know, doing my best to assimilate whatever personal or social changes as quickly as possible. But to your point, I think it's caused um, a lot of uh, shock, I think, in the average person. But on the other hand, I'm watching people get cracked wide open. And 
And that has been a really interesting experience as well. And it's not just what's happened, you know, with the virus, but also here in this country, you know, we've been dealing with things like critical race theory. We've been dealing with things like um, uh, the whole LGBTQA uh, agenda. Uh, we've been dealing with, you know, these other social factors that if the virus wasn't enough, well, here, take this and then take this and then take this. And that's really forcing people to, uh, again, get cracked open. And I just want to share a quick story and I'll, I'll give you a chance to respond to this. But in the, so there's a, a woman named Michelle Tafoya and she is, uh, had been, he's been, she's been on TV for like the last 15 years, something like that, 15, 16 right. years. And she's a sideline reporter for Sunday Night Football. And uh, she was on The View in November. They decided that they, Cindy McCain was leaving. They wanted to bring somebody else on who was a little bit more, you know, conservative. Well, she talked about her personal views and she lasted two days. She lasted two days on The View. And she was booted off, and uh, they just did the, the 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 Super Bowl, which was uh, on NBC. So that was her last broadcast. She stepped away from being on TV. She's got two two boys, one thirteen and one fifteen, and she's sick about what's happening to them in their life, their education, watching their peer group get splintered off into um, these you know, sort of, you know, ethnic or race oriented, um, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, clans, like they're, they're actively doing this, right? They're actively separating these kids out uh, in junior high school and high school, and they're creating this kind of new division. So she's decided that she wants to step away from being in the, in the, uh, in, in the public limelight in a particular job, so she can fully devote herself to, the task at hand, which is pushing back on these, these social programs, which are splitting us and fracturing us more than bringing us together. So I think that that's interesting, right? To me, that's really interesting because to your point, she could have just shut her mouth and stayed on that sideline and collected a really nice salary every year. You know, and if her, if the situation was too weird for her kids in public school, just send them off to private school. You know, we'll 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 deal with that. We'll we'll just eliminate the issue by by making their world, you know, a little more, you know, homogeneic or whatever. But that's not what she did. And and I and I see this with people, not just people in the limelight or people that have a public position. I see people really waking up on moss. I think the big challenge, and I think maybe you could speak to this, is once the program is deconstructed, because you're we're seeing these programs get deconstructed in people. It's, I think that the biggest challenge is to not fill it with a different program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I was just, I took some notes while you were talking. Um, first, I think this, this goes back a bit to what is this place? And, and if this place is meant to be some sort of prison-like environment, or let's just call it similar to like the, 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 the movie uh, Free Guy, where the city is just there for these other people's entertainment, right? All their, the non-player characters are treated like just expendable 
pieces of furniture, right? If that's what the realm was created for, all of the work we put in to try to fix it will have no, will have no uh, consequence. If I'm saying if, but right, this is if. So perhaps the, the real thing we have to just have to learn is we have to step really into reality and say, okay, what is it? I know what I want it to be. I know what I wish it is. I know what I, I know what I, what mom and dad told me it is, but what is it really? And maybe the only thing I have to learn is this is not home. Mm. This is not really my home. And this is not a place that's here to help me. It's a place that's here to trick me, to distract me, to, to keep me away from the one thing that I really, which would be something within this spark within that it's keeping me focused on all this stuff out there, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. Right? You, you can love something tremendously and your focus is out there. Right. As opposed to what's going on inside and who and what is inside this thing, having the experience. And maybe that's because if you listen to key ancient texts, that's the number, like number one on the list is you have to turn away from the world and turn into yourself. And if you do that long enough, you will get answers that you seek. So there's the first issue we've got. The second issue we've got is this idea that something will save us. This has been with humans for however long there's been humans here, right? And here we are at another juncture of tremendous mess and and I'm not saying there isn't help either. I have to be very careful because I've got help in my life. I know others have got help in their life. But you would you might think, but why doesn't this help come in and sort of just fix things for people so that all of a sudden, like for like the world or areas, and all of a sudden it's like we can have. It seems to only be on individual. The help is an individual basis, and it's unique to something about the experience a person is having the, the help is not related to the whole so we also have to start asking like even when we pray how how you know people have been praying for world peace for 50 years that's not happening so what so it's also or, or may or maybe their prayers have staved off even greater catastrophes yeah, that's, that's well, a that's, a, that's, that's an a easy. That, yeah, that, that's a possibility too. But because we don't know, right? We're not sure. We also have this issue of well, we don't know what to pray for specifically. But that doesn't mean don't. Right. Like, like I'm just saying, it doesn't mean don't do it. Don't pray for world peace. I wouldn't say that to anybody. Right. I'm just saying, but can you find? Can you take your prayer? How do I turn this? Can you take your your power of prayer? and use it like a science experiment. How can you, how can you, how can you, in a sense, it's like a manifestation test, right? Sure. I'm gonna to try to manifest 10 different things, what manifests and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Why did certain things manifest? Why did certain things not manifest? Is it just luck? Is it just chance? Or if it's not, what was different about how I was, the place I was, the way I manifested, the inner state I was in for what did occur or what didn't? And I think if there, there is a formula there, and I, I've heard different formulas. If you actually un truly unravel the real, the real formula, I think we gain a, a real deep aspect of our power, but we get fooled so much by what we're suggested to do in a book that I don't think is anywhere close to the way it really works. Yeah. So let's go back to the Michelle Tafoya piece. All right. So let's say Michelle Tafoya 
is not successful in like her quest to uh, support a governor in Minnesota, which she's trying to do, who happens to be black and happens to be pro-family and wants to shut down the whole CRT thing. Let's just say, for instance, she's not successful with that. <laughs> but that doesn't negate what might happen to her along her journey and her path and what she learns and how she comes up against barriers and deals with um, things like persistence, commitment, character, courage, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that goes back to what you're saying about the individual piece right. versus maybe the, the collective piece, um, right. which I think is important for people to understand because you can commit to something big and whether or not that something big actually happens is to some degree irrelevant. What's relevant is what happens to you along the way. Yeah, or we can say it this way, right? I mean, if a million people all made a million personal changes to themselves, all made one million personal transformations, then you would see an external change, mm -hmm. right? The external change, but it won't necessarily happen from one. One is just one of many. So you need these others who are also doing the same thing, making these, these inner changes, these, these, these gaining these inner strengths. And all of a sudden, maybe once a critical mass is reached of interchange, then you can have, then, then it's like the external change will mirror it. Yes, I, I, that's a great point. When you have all these kinds of micro realities making these slight tweaks, right, yeah. to their lives, and all of a sudden together they manifest in another sort of bend in the road, and maybe a bend in, you know, you know, back towards a, a journey to get us on some timeline that you know we're going to be, again, I'll use the word resonant, more resonant with. Um, I have two stories to share about sure. the power of prayer and manifestation, and that yeah. has nothing to do with me. So one of my one of my friends, who um, some people might know, Giuseppe, who has a a, a show with uh, Dave Scorpio. You should go on their show, by the way. You'd be a really good guest nice. with Giuseppe and Dave Scorpio. Um, you'd love these guys. So Giuseppe um, got um, he got evicted from his place about three weeks ago, and not for anything like he did to the property. It was like all of a sudden the owner wanted to sell their pro sell the property. And he and his um, wife started to get stressed out uh, by the, 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 the fact that they needed to find a new place to live and, and they wanted to buy a house. That, that was their thing. And of course there were some good things on their side and there were some limiting factors on their side. And he said something really interesting to me. He said, you know, normally I just pray for other people. And then he said, um, but I decided that this time I wanted to, to pray for something that we needed. So he and his wife got together and they, they, they prayed for a new place and the right place to live. Right. And then out of nowhere, like this place pops up and I've seen the pictures. It's freaking incredible. Um, it's on four and a half acres. They qualify it's within the, the zone of where uh, his wife uh, needs to be so she can go to work. Uh, it's slightly more rural and closer to nature. And it's like, boom, there you go. You know, this is, this is in a lot of ways, I think the, the manifestation of that prayer, but it's not just the manifestation of the prayer. Like I know him and he's a good dude and he's done a lot of like solid work for other people. And, and I think 
I think that's important too. Like banking, banking this resonance or banking this this um, this character, this goodwill. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think before you get to the next story, I'll just say what came to me from that was um, there was a there tended to be a focus on others mostly. So I think if if your if your prayer is focused on others mostly, then it becomes okay once in a while to pray for yourself. Right. If you just, it seems like, at least from my my history and people I know, if you're only praying for yourself or like family members, it's not going to go very far because you're you're limited in your in your giving. You might say. Um, when I was, I'll just share this and then I'll, I'll I'll stop. When I was, I went through about four years ago, horrible anxiety to the point that I couldn't sleep for like two weeks, like at all, zero. And in the midst of it, I got a message from a shaman woman that I know and said, well, if you can't sleep, there's thousands and millions of other people in the world right now that can't sleep either. Why don't you spend your time praying for them? Forget about sleep for yourself. See if you, some, if you can great. pray for someone else to sleep. Yeah. So I did that for a couple of nights, nothing, you know, I didn't sleep at all, but I felt a little better. All of a sudden the third night doing that, I'll sleep. No, yeah, that's great. It's almost like a homeopathic sort of approach. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So story two. Uh, story two. Um, so this is a client of mine, again, looking for a house. Okay. Because they have to move, but kind of a very different approach. Like she went into uh, the Ernest Holmes science of mind world and started that there are these things that you do in science of mind to uh, break through and attract the thing that you need to have come to you. Right. So very, they're very clear techniques and they are connected to prayer, but they're not, it's not just prayer. And for her, that worked, mm -hmm. right? So it was another approach. She was using this other approach. It wasn't necessarily selfish. It was clearly self-oriented because they had to get a new place for themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. But it was another approach and she did it and she wound up getting this place up in the hills in Arizona, you know, not fancy, but enough for her horses mm -hmm. and enough for her life. Right? right. So, so, and this goes back to this other client that I had last week and she's probably listening to the show now. She's, she was stuck in Puerto Rico uh, because they had the big storm there in Puerto Rico. She hasn't been able to get out and she came to me and she was asking me for help with some astro cartography. And I said, well, employ God as your real estate agent, right? Huh. And she kind of wrapped her head around. She says, I'm not quite sure what you, what you mean. I said, well, you, you know, get real humble and ask for where you need to go and where you need to be and surrender to that, but be open to move when the time comes, because if you're uh, clear with your intent and you are, um, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, again, humble. I believe the call will be answered, but when the call comes, you have to be ready for it. And then you mm -hmm. have to move on it. And you can't go through your head and say, well, I don't know, you know, this doesn't really match up with, you know, what I'm really, you know, looking for. It's like, you know, you've asked and you hear it comes right. There's, right. there's the invitation. So I think we're onto something here with this idea around uh, prayer and intentionality and our place in the world. Yeah, I know Bart Marshall, a guy that I really have come to like from the 
um, who had studied with Richard Rose for years and uh, Douglas Harding. He talks about betweenness, which he calls the way of sort of manifesting. And he had four four things that you have to do. And first was an intention. You have to you have to have a, you have to have a clear intent. You've got to know what that is. Then two, you need to uh, um, you need to have faith that something something will happen. Maybe not exactly what you want, but something will happen from from your intention. Um, one of them is gratitude. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to be grateful whether it comes or it doesn't, because some things may not actually be good for you. So or something else will come that's better or. Or, so you need to have the gratitude and then you need to be grateful for what's in your life already. Right. Because if you're not grateful for what's here now, if you're cursing what you already have, then the manifestation won't bring you more either. Right. And the fourth element was, I think, was a sense of, was also a sense then of uh, letting go. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. you have the intention, you hold it, you, you have faith it'll happen and then it's okay if it doesn't. Okay, yep. but you, you're, you're kind of, you're leaving it now to the universe. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with your decision. Um, and we'll see what happens. I'm letting it go. Yeah. Yeah, it was very similar to, um, I, I got this taught to me by a native medicine man one day without even knowing it. I was concerned about something. This was about 20 years ago. His name was Dennis, an Ojibwe medicine man. And, and he took me with some tobacco out to the forest because they pray with, they, they put their prayers in tobacco. You don't have to necessarily smoke it. You can just speak into it. And we left it with a tree and he just said, okay, really pray like hard, put your prayer into really think about it and place it. The tobacco will, will, will take it to the spirit. Well, okay. And then I gave it to the tree and I thanked the tree and I thanked the nature that was there. And then when we were done, he said, okay, now forget about it. It's done. It's going to happen. I said, just, what, what do you mean? Do I need, don't I need to come back? Or said, it's done. You right. made your prayer. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't think about it anymore. Yep. Um, David Spangler, for all his accusations of being an agent of Lucifer, actually wrote a really good book on manifestation. Mm. And one of the, everything you touched on is in his process. Mm. But there was was another component in his process. And that was, how will manifesting this for myself help others? Mm -hmm. That was was an interesting piece. Mm. Because it became inclusive. And it wasn't just about what you as a person needed, but right. how it could spread the blessing outward. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That that's that's yeah. Then that's a, a wonderful way to then feel I'm not I'm being selfish, you know. Because it, sometimes it, you know we're in a tough state or we're in a tough place. We need some help. We don't necessarily need material things. We just need some guidance. And then, but people will say, "But I'm thinking about myself. I'm being selfish." But no. That's, this is a need you really have. You really need some help. It's okay to ask for help. But if you add that at the end too, if you're, if you're concerned about the self, I'm being selfish, you say, I really would like some help. And that help will not just help me, but we'll find a way to help someone else too. Boom. You, you've answered, you, you've cut up, you've cut off your uh, inner, your inner block by doing right. that. Right. Yep. And I did it. I practiced it and I got, I got what I wanted. I like worked on it and, happened within 72 hours after I, uh, <laughs> after I asked for it. It was very interesting. It was a very interesting experience. And then once I got what I wanted, it was a very bracing reality to actually deal with the thing that I, that I got. 
so it's a kind of a, a, a long, longer story. I don't want to really belabor the, uh, the, uh, the, the example or ring it out, but it worked. Okay. It worked. And then mm. the, the upside of that, or the, how would I say this? The real, the real understanding of that is that there's always what's on the other side of the manifestation, which you learn from it. That, mm. that, that's the big part. And, right. um, and just because you get something doesn't always mean that all of a sudden your life is completely complete, right? It may be improved, but then there may be other things that come as a result of that, that you have to deal with. Interesting. Yeah. Is it, can I ask you an astrology question? Sure. Cause this came to me about three weeks ago mm -hmm. and I happened for some reason to pull up a chart on the difference between tropical astrological dates and sidereal astrological mm -hmm. dates. Yep. And I started looking at the tropic. Am I correct? The tropical side or sidereal dates, sidereal dates are related to the moment of your birth. So the way the sky looks when you're born, right? Mm -hmm. Tropical. Isn't that related to the, to when it was in zero AD? Uh, it, it relates to the signs that are uh, rising and where the planets are vis-a-vis -vis the, tropical zodiac and that the tropical zodiac is uh, a byproduct of ptolemy who okay. was a very interesting character in egypt and he was more of an astronomer than an astrologer but he was he did a lot of other things too he was really into like sound and color theory and he was a it's a pretty interesting character so he's the one that creates this tropical system because it creates okay. this 360 degree kind of perfect circle with 12 signs and then um, 30 degrees per per sign. And clearly it's different than sidereal um, mm -hmm. astrology. And this is kind of a big debate that goes on, like well, which one is the one that's, you know, really right or true or correct. So well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened with me. Yeah. So when I looked into this, because under tropical astrology, I come yeah. fall in as a Pisces. Yes. And I kind of lived my life and thought of my life as a Pisces. But when I looked at sidereal, I become an Aquarius. Right. Okay. So I began thinking about this, like, okay, which is correct, which isn't correct. And then, and then I realized at the age of 28, that's, I guess, your Saturn return year is what's called. Right. And, 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 and in Egypt, that would be called your Osiris year. It's a year of, and I, I started wondering, maybe the two astrological systems are in place because they're both correct. The tropical, because I was a Pisces for sure until the age of 28. And yeah. after 28, that was when I, I started, I found ancient Egypt and started my study and started writing books. And without realizing it, looking back now, I've become an Aquarius. Mm, There's no question I'm more of an Aquarius now than a Pisces. Mm -hmm. And and I'm wondering if if that's what happens. At the age of 28, you actually put, you, not everybody will switch. Some will stay the same sign, depending on when you're born. But right. So I'm looking at this, not that I was focused on astrology, but I took it as an interesting possibility. And, and so I made a lot of choices after the age of 28, assuming I'm a Pisces, mm -hmm. when now looking back, I was probably an Aquarius and I actually made choices that were good for me at a different time. And I'm wondering, this, this concept could be really uh, life-changing for somebody if it's true. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I've never... So I've, I've looked at what I would call reconciliation, right? Between these two systems. Yeah. And I've done certain, what I would call mundane applications of these two systems. Right. Okay. 
So one of the one of the examples that I like to use is this guy Tyson Fury. And Tyson Fury is the heavyweight champion of the world. He's six foot nine. Yep. He's a traveler, uh, which means he's Irish Gaelic. And he's a Leo. So he goes by the name of the Gypsy King. And, you know, it's very kind of Leo identified. And when yeah. he came into his second bout against Deontay Wilder, he's wearing a crown, he's on a throne. It's pretty Leo-like if you ask me, right? Yeah. So I uh, looked at his chart in Sidereal and he's a cancer. And I'm like, sorry, this dude is not a cancer. Okay. It's not, it's not flowing. Right. Uh, another example. And I ch chose specifically sort of early Leos, which would throw them back into cancer. Mm -hmm. Mick Jagger is a Leo. I mean, he is a Leo. Make no mistake about it. He's a, you know, he's a rooster. Uh, he's yeah. a performer. If you put him into cancer, that's a lot more retiring, right? So I think that maybe in some cases and examples, it might work with those two guys. Clearly, neither of them are Cancerian, right? I also look at events. So if you look at 9-11, right? 9-11 happens when Saturn is in the sign of Gemini. Mm -hmm. And when we look at that period of time, there's an opposition with Pluto, which is in the sign of Sagittarius. So what's the, what's the narrative? The narrative is a bunch of extreme uh, uh, terrorists from another country and another religion, which is going to be Sagittarius, from another part of the world, which is Sagittarius, that they are going to be engaged in the destruction of these two buildings, which is Gemini, and Saturn, which represents this... Um, connection to culture, authority, right? It's like those two buildings are representative in some ways of the, the apotheosis and the mastery of the West, mm. right? So if you do sidereal on that date, it takes everything out, right? Like Saturn goes into um, Taurus and then Pluto goes into Scorpio. And as far as a mundane kind of event, it doesn't work right? Because you're dealing with twin towers, you're dealing with Gemini, you're dealing with their destruction, you're dealing with Pluto, you're dealing with these mm. extremists from another religion and another country. So for me, that is a tropical cell, right? That's a tropical mm -hmm. cell. Now, that said, I do think that there is some merit to sidereal. Don't get me wrong. I think there is some merit to it. And I think that um, when you get into sidereal, you're also getting into the position of where certain things are at the time of your birth. I just don't put that much of an emphasis on it because, mm. you know, I've, I've been doing this for since 2008 and it's been a pretty, uh, pretty accurate system for me. Right. And um, so that doesn't mean that you couldn't have experienced something at 28, 29, 30, when you went through your Saturn return. Right. You know, anyway, there's, just, a, there's also, up, I just wanted to ask you, well, I had you here. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So there's also the possibility, and I, I'd have to look at your chart, that you may have some planets in Aquarius. And that, um, how, how old, what year was it when you were 28? It was 1997. Uh, 1997. So in 1997, Saturn was in Aries, if I'm not mistaken. 
Let me just think back. 19, no, 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 no. Hold on. 90, yeah, 90, Saturn was in Aries in 1997. So I'd, ha I'd have to look at your chart. But sometimes through the transit of Saturn, um, it could uh, connect with, you know, uh, let's say, for instance, you have, I don't know, maybe Mercury or Venus. Let's go with Mercury. Mm. It's a good chance you might have Mercury in Aquarius. So there's a Saturn trine uh, from Aries to, to Mercury, and it might light Mercury up in a way based on that trying, whereas it going through the sign of Pisces. And by the way, by the way, um, you would have had Saturn cross your sun just slightly before that. So Saturn would have crossed your sun. Uh, let's see in 19. Oh, 94, 95, something like that. Right around 94, 95, you would have had a Saturn sun conjunction based on your degree of your sun sign in Pisces. And that will change you. A Saturn Sun conjunction will change you. Mm. And that could maybe move you into another zone. You may have planets in Aries as well. Like you might, I, I don't know your chart. You might have Mercury in Aries. And then a Saturn conjunction with Mercury in your chart would emphasize things like writing and communication and make you much more focused. So there, you know, there's there's a number of different ways that we could, you know, kind of. I'd love to look at your chart. We don't have to do it now, but send me your yeah. stuff. I'll take a look at it. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And you, we we can huddle offline and discuss. It'd be a good discussion. <laughs> yeah. See what see what we think. Yeah, and yeah, and it's it's like some people are really into, um, you know, uh, Indian astrology, mm. which is more sidereal. Right. Right. They're very. They're very. You know. They're they're very. They're very into it. There's some interesting things about uh, Indian astrology, I, but I've, I've always found it too fatalistic. Like if you sit down with an Indian astrologer and you don't have the right aspects or, or stars or the right relationship to Rahu and Ketu, you're screwed. And they'll just tell you that right. you're screwed. So I guess I guess the reason one of the reasons I was I was curious about astrology now that I look back on it is not you know predicting the future or and not that part of it. It was the personality. Uh, possibilities of it and now that i now that i think about it more it's like you mean there's only 12 types of personalities that can't make sense but it would if we're in a simulation so again if you're in a simulation you would only you wouldn't want to have billions of personalities necessarily or at least you wouldn't code them but if like you say you have different planets and different things so okay Sagittarius you're making Sagittarius mean this and you're making Capricorn mean this and now but we add 12 different or 14 different planet ranges or whatever there's still only 12 connecting points we're just adding like extra beads on the abacus and now you can build various personalities with very little coding well that goes back to Gurdjieff in yeah. his famous question he would ask people he would say do you, do you know how many people there are in the world and they would try to guess what the current population of the planet was. And they'd always be wrong. And Gurdjieff would say, there's nine. There's nine, there's nine people in the world. And so he's talking about the Enneagram and he's talking about yeah, types, types yeah. right? So um, that's, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, and, then, and then you get into like decans, right? Like, right. you know, there, there are three decans for each sign. And by the way, you could line up a hundred Pisces shoulder to shoulder and you'll see a hundred different people. I guarantee you. Yep. Yep. Because and think, that's the nature of the sign, by the way. Yeah. But it's still interesting to think that you could get that kind of diversity with only 12 underlying programs. That's true. 
if you just take various pieces, you know, okay, this piece is this, and this piece is this, and this piece is this. Oh, we take this piece again, this piece, and now there's the person. So those 12, if you have, you know, you wind up with, with a billion different conjunctions, but you've only had to have 12 starting points. That's yeah. when I kind of started also cluing into the really thinking about if you're, if you're building a simulation, you want to try as the creator to simplify your job as much as possible still have a tremendous amount of possibility, still have a tremendous amount of diversity, but you wouldn't want to code 7 billion people. You'd right. like to code a way where it, the, the basic foundations are there and then the, some system sets it up so it takes pieces. And it just, it made complete sense to me. Like, well, that would actually make sense of how you would do something like this. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very, very interesting. Because even with those 12 basic fundamental types, the amount of diversity that you can find is pretty, pretty significant. Yeah. Really significant. And the stories. So I've been getting into um, the astrology of uh, sociopathology the last, yeah. few the last few days, because I've been doing this deep dive into San Francisco and what was happening in San Francisco during 1977 and 1978. And throughout the seventies, okay. it's like this strange, California is a strange hotbed of, you know, bizarre personalities that are uh, connected to power. And, um, right. and there's a kind of a whole cult sort of um, mentality and psychology. Then there's also connections to various government groups. So I've just been in that deep dive the last three days and I'm looking at people like Jim Jones and Willie Brown and this guy, Charles Diederich and try to understand what motivates on an astrological level, what might motivate some of these people to have extreme behaviors, not right. necessarily Willie Brown. He's an interesting study, but Jim Jones, and this guy, Charles Diederich are very, have you ever heard of Synanon by any chance? No. So this, this is a trippy story. So, there's this guy named Charles Diederich and he, he winds up moving to California, working at one of the jet propulsion companies. And he is a, a, a hardcore alcoholic and he, he goes, he, he, his wife threatens to leave him. So he goes to AA, this is around 1958. He yeah. goes to AA and then his wife still leaves him. And then he gets involved in this study. This is very early. It's around 1959 and UCLA does this study on the effects of LSD in people with addiction. So he gets into this study and he, he takes LSD and he winds up sobbing nonstop for about three or four days. And he had been in AA. He's one of these guys that would just talk. He was just like, he would talk forever at AA. So then he decides that AA is not good enough for other addictions so for people that have heroin or um, speed or whatever. So he decides that he's going to do his own thing. And he starts this thing in Santa Monica called tender loving things. That's what it's called initially. But then he makes up this word and it's synonym, which is synergy and anonymous. So he creates this group and then he creates this system. And it's a system where people go in and they go through this kind of cold Turkey um, detox and then they go into this thing called the game. And the game is this three-day period where it's all group therapy. And essentially, it's extremely confrontational. There's another word for it. It's called assault therapy. 
And he winds up being very successful in a lot of ways with this and starts to grow this empire. So then he incorporates Senanon and he has all these, you know, interesting people dropping by like Ray Bradbury and Gene Roddenberry, mm-hmm. um, who else? Milton Berle, like, you know, all these, like, they also have some Hollywood jazz people like Joe Pass and Art Pepper, they're junkies. So they're there, they want to kick. So he's got this whole kind of like, kind of jazz and music scene going on. And this thing just explodes, like it gets huge. And he starts to make all this money and then it gets really weird, right? He starts to basically say, well, you know, if you're an addict, you're called the lifestyler. So you're in it for life, which means you're in Synanon for life. And he starts to take, take control of people. And he starts to have the women come in and have them shave their heads. Right. It starts to get really, really weird. This whole thing just gets crazy. And, and then, uh, and then he starts to tell the men to get vasectomies. Right. So th- th- it goes from this thing that has this initial, like, like there were people who were really lauding the work that they were doing mm-hmm. because it was actually in some ways like helping people, but then it just goes beyond the pale. And it, then he turns Synanon into a church. And then because he wants to deal with like, it, like it's the same story with Scientology because the IRS is after them. So he turns it into a church. So this guy winds up becoming a strange and bizarre figure in California culture. And there's a spinoff. One of his, one of his people starts Delancey street, which winds up becoming this kind of big deal in San Francisco for people that are homeless mm-hmm. and have addictions. And the guy who starts it, Delancey Street is also connected to all these progressive Democrats that begin to rise up like mushrooms in that in that hummus there, right? Like Willie Brown, George Moscone. Eventually, Kamala Harris comes out of that whole circle and scene. Mm-hmm. But it's him, Jim Jones, who's also part of it, right? He's part of that world at that time. So I've been looking at the, uh, the relationship between certain types of sociopaths in astrology and trying to make some connections here and it's interesting it's an interesting sort of study into that that world hmm. yeah oh. not that it adds anything to your simulation piece no of course not yeah but it's i just i see for me i find so i get i get into things like novelty right so whether that's a distraction or whether it's um a way for me to find the world interesting like that's kind of where I, I like, I find this realm endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And even, even if it's a prison or a place of learning, I never find it unfascinating. I, I, I don't think there's, I, I think there's, you know, if, if you don't study it at all, you're not going to figure anything out for sure. So it, it, it does require our study. Uh, the question becomes how much and how long? At right. what point? At what point do we feel I've I've learned what I need to know? Right. You know, because because you can learn endlessly in the dream. You know, you could keep learning. If if you're a repair person, I mean, you could re- learn how to repair ten thousand different uh, machines, right? Right. But from the standpoint of, but if you're going to know your true nature, if you're going to exit Plato's cave, what's the what's the what's the uh, 
what's the things that have to be checked off in the learning category for that as well. So I think there's, it's a healthy balance of both, right? I think if somebody doesn't explore anything in the world, doesn't, isn't fascinated by on some level, how things operate here, then they're living a pretty un, yeah, it must be living a dull life then. Right. Because so let me ask you a question, but, it, but it's let, insane. Let me ask you a question. Here's a question. Yeah. Does everybody need to exit Plato's cave? And is that important to them? Like maybe that repairman just came here to be a repairman and learn how to repair 10,000 things. Yeah, we have no idea. I mean, the first first question is, okay, so I've got to assume, I'm assuming I'm human based on what I know, but I could be a robot in Westworld that's had, you know, my, my backstory just put into me and I don't know. I think I'm real, right. but I'm not. But I'm assuming right. for now I'm real. I definitely don't. I don't believe that there are 8 billion humans on the planet. I definitely right. don't believe that. So yeah. even if you say half of them are non-player characters type thing, so that means you've got half of them for sure that are just, they're, 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 they're going to be a program and they're going to do whatever it is to do to populate the world. Of the next group, you know, I, I don't think even if exiting Plato's cave is an option, you could have 4 billion exit Plato's cave at the same time because what would you do with the simulation? So I also think there are real part of part of the challenges to to potentially do it or to reach to reach the other side. You might say, I think part of the reason for that is because you don't want to have too too fast of a mass exodus, or the simulation will will have trouble sustaining itself. So that's why I think it's it's there, there seems like there comes a time for some reason when people get to a certain point where they say. I'm not going to play in the game anymore. I know it's a game on some level. I'm not sure what the game is, but I don't want to play it anymore. I want, I need to know something more than that. Mm -hmm. And that, when that finally kicks in, I think that's the beginning movement into possibility. Of course, it doesn't mean anything more because we don't know. I mean, we don't really know how we know the Plato's cave story is probably correct, but we don't know exactly even how do you exit, you know? Um, it's still speculation, at least for, for me and a lot of others. Now, there might be a few that know. I think there are a few that truly know. Probably they also know to keep their mouth shut about it because nobody would probably want to hear it. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, they, they, they'd want to hear, they'd want to hear a story that probably makes them feel good as opposed to the real detail. Here's the deal. Here it is. If you actually want to go on the other side, this is what it's going to take. Ooh, really? Yeah. Oh. So one of the things that you and Campbell were talking about in your last talk also was death. And you were talking about um, those things that you take with you onto yeah. the other side. Right. Do you, 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 uh, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Well, it was this idea of, you know, they're very clear, right? Passing through the eye of the needle um, idea. You, do, you don't take anything with you when you die and, but that's material, right? You know, when the body ends, the body is left here. Everything is left here. All the material things are left here, but something certainly from anyone who's had any after death experience that comes back, they're relating that some type of consciousness goes, goes forward. And the feeling I've got from my own death experience and from others I've read and, and heard from that certain elements of knowledge can go with you certain elements of understanding can go with you. Because like you say, it, it's it, you're probably just entering a new bardo. 
that's what's really happening, right? You're leaving one bardo and you're entering on the transit transition. You're just in a new bardo. Right. And it would be so easy then to just, just like, oh, it's as real as this realm, right? It's like Neo when he leaves the first matrix and he's in the next one and he's not checking, well, how do I know this is not like the last matrix I was just in? Right. You know, right. so he, so I think that's the first thing that happens is, can you take through death this this continuous questioning of, just because I'm having an experience, can I trust the experience is reality or is it still another layer of exactly of of the matrix, right? Right. So I think that's the first thing you're you're hoping to take with you is this clarity of mind, this this ability to stay focused on an inner questioning of where am I, what's going on what's who or what is having this experience what is the experience that's going on what can i understand about it and if you can kind of hold that somehow i think that really would make a, a huge help in the next bardo yeah i yeah i would agree where are you on this idea that the light is a trap uh, on the other side 75 percent. you know um Where's the 25% at? What is, where, where are you with the 25%? Because I can't know for sure. And, uh, you know, because um, I've heard other stories of people say, I've heard, because I had, oh, what was her name? The woman on Rogueways. She Lindsay, had a, a, Lindsay. Yeah, Lindsay. She had this really strange death experience where the, the, there was the light that we all hear about. And she rejected the light and walked away from that light. And the light was sort of like, as she described it, like really trying to get her attention. And she just walked into the black, into the darkness, into the nothingness. But after she walked into the darkness long enough, a light appeared. Mm. Uh, a very different light than the one that had been so, before. So but that's, great, that's great information. You know, I've had her on my show couple times we've never talked about that mm. I've got to I've got to talk with her about that that's interesting now for some people they they don't have, for some people it seems like they have no choice in some ways yeah like they're whisked into this other reality very quickly and um do you know who um uh, Dr. Howard Storm is do you know him no I had him on my show a couple of years ago he's a very interesting character he he was a uh, an art teacher professor okay. and, and he was uh, with one of his classes in Paris and his something was going on with his body and he had to get rushed to the hospital. And it, and because of the, of the specific condition that he had, they couldn't get the right doctor there for like 12 hours. So he winds up having this experience where he leaves his body and he starts to, walk down the hallway of the hospital mm -hmm. and there are these beings that are you know basically saying come on come on come on you know right. come with us and as he continues to do that they it gets darker and darker and darker and they become more malevolent and they start to um they start to clutch on to him as he's trying to go back in the other direction mm -hmm. until finally he's in this place of complete darkness and they're literally tearing at him right they're literally tearing at him and then he has this um i guess instinct or intuition he wasn't religious at all to say the lord's prayer mm -hmm. so it's the only thing he knows and then he says the Lord's Prayer. And as he says it, these goblin-like creatures 
begin to shriek and they begin to um, ultimately scatter. And then he's left there and he's kind of bleeding and all, you know, he's got all this uh, like, you know, you know, his clothing is turned to rags. And then he has this encounter with what he would call would be Jesus. And, and he goes in a very different direction, experiences a very different energy and a very different kind of, um, well, light and love, right? And he begins to see his, his life in a very diff different terms, like mm. selfish, egoic, you know, going to faculty parties, always having to be right and stuff like that, right? So then um, Jesus says that you have to go back. But before he sends him back, he shows him two versions of the future for Earth. Okay. And one, one version is kind of like heaven on Earth. And the way that he describes it is how you and I might describe the ideal experience of being on this planet the way we might understand it. Right. It being like telepathic, that we would have some degree of sort of collective or group empathy, that right. we would be capable of doing things that as humans now, we, we aren't able to wrap our heads around, right? It's right. like how Jesus said, you know, uh, you are capable of these things and greater. That was his version, like of one type of reality. And then the other type of reality that he saw was like this Mad Max kind of world where everything is breaking down and everything is moving into kind of the world that we're living in right now in some ways. So then he comes back and then he winds up uh, leaving his teaching position and he becomes a minister and um, you know, he winds up getting a divorce and leads a very simple life in a lot of ways, like very different. He, you know, he had a job of tenure and everything. So, um, that was his experience. And, and I, there, I've heard a lot of, I was fascinated by the whole near death and after, you know, the OOB experience, well, the near, the NDE, but that was his experience. And it had something to do, and this was not a religious guy, right? He was, in his mind, he was an atheist, but he has a very religious experience on the other side. Right. And again, that relates, I've mentioned this quite a, quite a number of times, that relates a lot to the, the Hopi prophecy, right? The Hopi prophecy where there will come a time in this world where it splits into two, where there's a material road and a spiritual road, and they're kind of still together right now. But at a certain point of time, when there's a crisis point, it, there will actually be a split and there will be two different worlds. And that leads right into the, to the vision you just said, though there, there's two visions of the future. In a sense, it's not one or the other, maybe both of them are actually true and real and, and future. It's just, they're gonna be side by side. They're not going to be in the same realm together. Literally, the realms just split. So this gets into the whole idea of the ascension and the fifth dimension that a lot of people, you know, have talked about and wrapped their heads around. That, that people who are in, say, the uh, oh, let's call it the angelic, the angelic world, or the or the, uh, the 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 Christian world, right? That that's their version of that. And they won't even notice that anything else is around them. Meanwhile, these other people are stuck in Mad Max realm. So I've never been a big proponent of this idea of the Ascension. I mean, it feels a little kind of Disney to me in some ways. 
but you're actually kind of talking about it, but not in those terms. Not in those terms, no. But uh, and I mean, I don't know if it's true. I just I read that Hopi prophecy a while ago, and it was interesting. But I also know that's not the real Hopi prophecy, right? There's the Hopi prophecy that they've said to the white people over the years that right. made it into all the books, and then there's the real one that has been kept within the tribe, which certainly I have not had access to. So how much of the of the of the one that's come out is true or isn't? I don't know. Um, we, I am getting more and more of the sense that, you know, this world, the world we know, this particular realm is not going to get better. It's not going to improve that this, this place for whatever reason in the, in the fixture is, is, is going, going down the tubes. And, uh, so again, what was really interesting was what I had to talk with Bart again, like I say, a while, a while ago, he was saying something similar. And he said, what we have to be doing is building a spiritual arc. You're building an arc now with, with, with like-minded people for the possibility to ride it out to, if you're, if you're still going to be, you know, having an experience in a body living to ride it out to something else. Um, now, whether these things are true or not, I don't know, but it's 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 a way, I think, for people to have a focus on something as life gets difficult to say, okay, spiritual arc, you know, this idea of keeping what's important and what's vital and what's what means to be human somehow together and held and 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 you know, that's partially what a lot of the native Indians were doing when when they were being wiped out. Uh, 120, 130 years ago, right? They were sending young children out into the forest, into the whatever. They gave them the, the, as many teachings as they could and then got them out there to hide so that hopefully down the road, five or 10 years down the road, they could come back and, and, and certain things would still be there. And without doing those certain things, all of the native teachings would have been probably almost wiped out, right? They, they had a, they came up with a, in very difficult times, they came up with a plan of how to keep something of their heritage and their knowledge alive. And uh, we may be having to do something similar now that part of our job, people like us who are have been doing this for, for a long time and have maybe gained little pieces of wisdom, can we find ways to keep that going forward to somewhere, something else, not necessarily to benefit us, but to benefit someone else in, in a different place, realm, future, I don't know. Yeah, that gets into this uh, idea of, that Asha Logos has been talking about and creating parallel systems. And um, I think it falls into alignment with this idea of the spiritual arc. And you know, I astrologically, you know, we, we're in this phase where we had this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in um, uh, 20, uh, December 20, uh, 2020, right? Right. December 21st, 2020. And for me, that was a real game changer because prior to that, Saturn had just been in Aquarius. And we saw the effects of Saturn in Aquarius all throughout 2020. And it was top-down and it was tyrannical, right? It was worldwide top-down tyranny, scientific tyranny, Saturn in Aquarius. You had your high priest of Anthony Fauci, who was kind of leading the leading the band there. So Jupiter comes in and becomes this wild card. Now we've got this other thing that's introduced. And one is about expansion, the other is about contraction. And 
we're in this 20 year cycle of expansion and contraction around a lot of these ideas that you're talking about. Right. So, so the, the way that, that I've, you know, looked at it and, uh, you know, to my best ability have formulated this is that we are in this period where people are starting to do that. Some of it is intentional. Some of it is being forced by the, um, uh, the, the, you know, what's going on in their life, like the, 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 the quality or non-quality of their life. And so they're looking at it, we got to change our lives. And this goes back into crisis and catastrophe, mm-hmm. but it's happening. Like there is this thing that is emerging as a result of this other thing pressing down upon it. And, and we're in this 20 year cycle now, which essentially takes us out to the end of the Pluto cycle because Pluto cycles are roughly about 18 years, 17, 18 years. So that brings us into Pluto and Pisces. Okay. And if we look that far down the line, when we get into Pisces, we come to the end of the astrological cycle. Right. So I feel like that the, the Pluto cycle that we're heading into with Aquarius is the potential for the denouement of our story here and it can it can go in a number of different directions and Plu- and aquarius is it's it's not typical right it's just a not a typical sign so the way that it might look might look very different to us now from right. where we sit but there is this kind of denouement this apotheosis of culture because that's what aquarius represents it represents groups it represents you know, kind of where we move beyond Capricorn, which is all about hierarchies. It's about non-hierarchical relationships. But then when we get into the Pluto cycle, which is on the other side of this 20-year Jupiter-Saturn cycle, we're into Pisces, and that's the end. And I, and, and, and I wanted to ask you this question, because, but I wanted to get to this point. And that's, what if this thing just ends, period, at some point, that the story's over? Right, the story of this physical universe as we know it is done, based on this planet. And I think that when we get into that Pluto in Pisces phase, that we're moving more into this realm of spirit and the place that we came from, that's the beginning of the end of our story. That that's my feeling. But what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, this had a had a start point. There was a moment the switch was turned on. I think we can all agree to that. And um, it would make sense that there's a point that it turns off. Now, the question is, does it, when it turns off, is it just over, finished? Or is it the same as when you play a video game and you've reached the end of the game, you just restart it and start from zero point again? Um, Because I can say my own, I mean, I've I've experienced several, we'll call them parallel lives. Now, uh, where it's me in this body and, you know, I'm having different experiences in the world, but it's still me. And, you know, I, I could certainly understand what, what's going on and who I'm doing them with. So are they paralleled in the standpoint that they're happening simultaneously, that there's like a million worlds going out, like it's sometimes described, or is it just one looping world that goes to a certain point, ends, goes back, starts again, you go into your character again, and it just keeps going. So when we talk about this, the reincarnation cycle, perhaps the reincarnation cycle isn't necessarily different beings, perhaps it's, it's, it's yourself over and over and over again. Um, so 
it's even when so even we're saying we're reaching the end we don't know it's the end end it could be the, the literally the end could be the beginning and we're back still trying to we'll be back figuring it all out again the hope of course is how can we take how can like if there's anyone i'd want to talk to about this who we should interview it's two and three year old kids who've just learned how to talk because they are still connected to something they have still got a certain knowledge that we many of us have just lost and it's like bizarrely they might have the answers for us because they might yeah, still remember it, it, where it, they just it, were yeah it's unfortunate because probably a lot of those two and three-year-old kids now can't talk because they've been wearing masks for the last two years right so it might be a difficult conversation to have but you know, but still, some might, and, and if you're able to reach yeah. the ones that you can, yeah, uh, you you know, he, I've heard I've heard various stories, but of course, the, the the parent or the person hearing it has to immediately encourage the child, not discourage the story, not block the child out, and 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 comfortably say, "I'd like to know more. Please share more with me. This is very interesting to me. Thank you." You know, and uh, because I, I've told that story too many times of when I watched a friend's young child; she was two years old. And she never spoke of herself in the first person, right? It was Sally wants a drink. And they would try to correct her. No, it's say, I want a drink. You want a drink. No, Sally wants a drink. Her and the Sally thing were two completely different entities in her world. And, and you know, at a certain point of time, there will come a point where she finally gives in and says, I want a drink. Sally and this other thing have merged into one. Mm -hmm. So it's also this idea where we can talk to them when they are still in this I am not the body. I am not this thing yet. Wow, we have an opportunity to learn a ton. Or maybe we should just practice talking in the third person for a day or two, right? Like, yeah, yeah. How about that for an experiment? How about everybody do that? Who's right. watching this? Because that's easy. We can all do that. We can yeah. all talk in the third person for a day. Yeah. And then why don't you come back and leave comments below if anything happens? Yeah. We can reverse it, reverse engineer this thing. Yeah, kind of. We, we try it ourselves and see what happens if we kind of treat ourselves in the third person for a day. What would happen? Well, Robert's having a great time speaking with you today. Howdy. Thanks. Howard's really enjoyed being here. And um, it's uh, been, uh, and your cat has had a wonderful experience. He is, I'm telling you, man, this guy, this guy's a star right here. He's a rock star. Yeah. He totally is. Um, so did we leave anything on the table today? I think we did pretty good from what I could tell. I think we've got lots to for people to think about and, and uh, share us with. I, th I think so. I think we've we've had a pretty pretty good discussion here. Brought up, brought yeah. up a lot of stuff. Is there anything else that uh, is floating through your, your space? Not yet. You know, it's more like I think we're going to know... We're going to know a lot more of where things are headed in about three to four weeks. I think three to four weeks, we'll, we'll get a better sense of, because it's also going to tell us what's happening with, with this Ukraine situation and what's being played there. And what's, we'll just get some more ideas of, are certain, are certain things going to go this direction? Are certain things going to go that direction? Is everything going to wind down? Are we going to just, um, because there's so many balls still being juggled right now. We don't know what's going to stay and what's going to come down. Yeah, uh, and, and that's I, I had felt by the end of March, 
That's what I said like back in November. I said, by the end of March, we're going to have a pretty good idea what the rest of 2022 will probably be like in general. The world. I think the pharma pimps are in trouble. I think they're in trouble because I think that uh, people are putting the pieces together. You're looking at um, what's this, Stefan Bancel, who basically sold a ton of his shares in Moderna and shut his Twitter account down. You've got people that are, there's like a, a whistleblower, I think from Pfizer, um, that's leaking information about some of the trials, right? So um, one of these pieces is that fraud videates um, immunity from being prosecuted, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's some major fractures happening in that story. I've just got one thing to comment. I was just I'm seeing your comments on the side here as the, yeah. as the thing is yeah. going up. And somebody just asked, ask him about communities. And that could be a really interesting final thing to say. Something to deal with. Try to find some people you can be connected with on some level. I think that's part of the arc. That's part of the the spiritual arc arc experience that you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Part part of it can be actually physical where you're somewhere in the, in together and you're working on something together or you're, you're doing some farming together or whatever, but it doesn't have to be. It can be people on the other side of the world who you're only connected to by email or phone or even just meditative sessions together, but you're, you're linked. You're somehow, you know, you're, you're connected with another person who is thinking like you do and are have the same wishes and concerns and whatever. And I think that's that's this building of, of, of the tribe because this idea that we, we wanted the tribe to be our family and our friends. That's who we wanted to be in our tribe. But part of these years have showed who it's really going to be. And we have to be comfortable saying the ones on our arc are going to be the ones that really are but we were really together with, and that's okay because they're out there. Really, if you even if you think you're alone, if you think you're alone in all this, that's only maybe where you happen to be right now. There's lots of people all over the place thinking just like you are. It's just a matter of finding a way to connect. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I've been blessed to be connected to a group of people that, uh, you know, watch watch my shows and and get engaged with the content. And out of that, a lot of really interesting relationships have been formed. And uh, I think there's even a a marriage that's come out of this thing. So yeah, seriously. Um, And it, and it's been an interesting experience for me because a lot of it is, you know, through the digital space, but we get together once a year in Texas here. And so I've got to meet, you know, a number of people who are part of this group. Right. Uh, formally or informally. Right. And we've lost some people. We've had two people who have died that have been connected to our group uh, informally. Uh, and, you know, it's a real blessing. I love it. You know, I, I, I feel like I know all these people without knowing them. Isn't, isn't, isn't it a wonderful feeling it, that, that the sense of like, it's not just that you're sharing things, but you're, you're creating a space for others to share with each other. And, and share back with you. I've learned, I've learned so much from the comments on my YouTube channel that I would have never learned on my own. It's right. been like a gift, what, I, right. what they've shared with me. Right. And, and to expand this, this, this topic, there are hundreds of YouTube channels and communities that have 
similar kinds of experiences and relationships, yeah. right? Yeah. So this thing is happening, right? This thing, this Aquarian world is, is happening around us all the time. And it's, it's only, in my opinion, it's only going to accelerate and we're going to need each other because we're, what we're going through, we're not going to be able to go through it alone. That's my sense. Yeah. Just to know you've got a, you've got someone there who's thinking about you and is, um, is, uh, in your corner, you know, yeah. at least spiritually that yeah. helps sometimes. Howdy, as always, soulful, deep, uh, very uh, resonant. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks again. And uh, after you go off the air or whatever, we can have a short uh, astrological chart discussion. And I'd be curious your thoughts on that. And we can talk later. All right. That sounds really great. I'll circle back to you. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Take care. Cheers. There he is, the, the great Howdy McCoskey, signing off with me, Robert Phoenix. Use your head in order to discern what's real your heart to say what's possible. I'll see you guys on Sunday night with Sunday night Astro live. Take care. Bye for now.